0: good to see all of you wonderful dharma brothers and sisters this morning peter i haven't seen you for a long time anyway anybody here new here for the first time oh hey welcome second time here second recognize yeah. yes, you. yeah all right welcome were you a beginners instruction this morning uh no i did that you've done that i know okay. Were you, were you at Beginner's Instruction? No. That's fine. I just wondered. <laughs> um, so, um, well, my name's Pat Yanks, if you don't know me. I'm um, a long-time practitioner here. <laughs> One of the few of us that have been around since the beginning of the Center. Really, it's kind of scary how long ago that was. 2000. Uh, well, the, the the title of my talk this morning is uh, our, our Boundless Lives. It started out to be on fixed ideas, but then I thought, wait a minute, I'm always talking about negative things, like fixed views, mm-hmm. and, and why don't I talk about something positive and then work the fixed views into it? <laughs> so I kind of changed the whole thing just last night, so I, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, you are so much bigger than you think you are. Anybody remember Kosho saying that? Yeah, yeah, a few people. He used to say that a lot. I I, I love that. That was my biggest takeaway, I think, from Kosho's teaching was, you are so much bigger than you think you are. Maybe this appealed to me because I tended to think of myself as a pretty small, insignificant person. I know I mentioned this to somebody else, how much I like this, and they said, oh, I think that's kind of scary. So there's other ways to look at it, Uh, but uh, you are so much bigger than you think you are. That's what the Buddha taught, that we're free, that we uh, don't have any limits, we don't have boundaries. Um, What does that mean to not have boundaries? Does it mean that we can do anything we want? Or anything? Does it mean we can do anything? I, I don't think that's really what it means. I think it means that we can always do more of whoever we are. That there's not a point in in time or in space where you come to. I can only go that far. There's it's, that boundary is not there. So. Um, uh, we can always be more compassionate. We can always be have wiser. We can always be. Uh, we can always be. Uh, I don't want to say we can always be energetic. But there's always more energy. Always more than we think. Always. And we may get temporarily tired and have to rest. But still, there's always more. It's boundless. Um, Anybody ever take the um, artist's way class or book or yeah, it's pretty popular. Uh, that was her big message in there too—that there are always more ideas. There's always uh, so much creativity. There's always so much possibility. It's endless. And we're um, we're uh, here. We are. There we are. with all that. You know. We have all that. Uh, but uh doesn't feel like that most days, does it? We forget. Uh what keeps us what keeps us from from uh remembering that we really don't have any limits. Well, fixed views, one thing. That's what I was gonna <laughs> 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 Um these fixed views, these are a, a type of del- delusion that, uh, that uh, we uh, generate from very early in life. We generate them daily, probably hourly, probably minutely. We are generating our fixed views. Um, um, we have fixed views about who we are we have fixed views about who others are, and we have fixed views about food, and we have fixed views about just about everything, politics, you know. Uh, the, most, the one that comes to my mind first is the I can't view. I can't. Um, it is one, one of, the, a simple example of I can't is, uh, since I have taught beginner's instruction here a lot uh, for a long time, I hear people say things like, well, I'd like to sit, I'd like to stay for the 35 minute sit, but I can't sit more than 15 minutes. You know, and and probably most of us have said something like that (laughs) at one time. Right? Am I right? You know? Um, And I think it is so interesting, this saying, I can't, because it's true. If you say you can't, it's true. And it seems so strong that once you say, I can't do it, it's, it's so real. Isn't that fascinating? You just make something up, and it's so real. I don't know what, if somebody comes up with a certain number of minutes they can sit, I'm not quite sure where they get that you know, Uh, maybe because they did 15 minutes once and it was successful, so okay, they know they can do that, so okay, I can't do more than 15 minutes, anyway, we have all kinds, of, and I'm not knocking that, believe me, I'm not, I mean, that's a start, and that's a a good thing, and the fact that you're here, and you're, you know, I'm, I'm really not knocking it, we all do this, we all set up limits, it's just so interesting to see how, how, Hard, I mean, how solid it gets when you say, "I can't do something." Uh, I'm not talking about, "I can't do it because I'm going to be at a meeting next week," or "I can't, I can't design your space station for you because I don't have the background." I'm just talking about the kind of "can't" that comes out of some kind of irrational fear that uh, that we generate ourselves, like we do all the time. Oh. We have fixed ideas about ourselves. Oh, you know. You ever hear somebody say, I'm the kind of person who, you know, I'm the kind of person who always lends a hand. I'm the kind of person who never says anything mean about people. I'm the kind of person who, um, you know, takes one step at a time. I'm the kind of person that doesn't have fixed ideas. Uh, (laughs) I always look a little askance at this. It kind of... uh, I don't hear people around here say that, but I have heard people in life say that, and I probably said it myself. Um, but it kind of smacks a little about what Koji was talking about this morning when he said self-improvement project. It sounds a little like a self-improvement project that somebody is making this bar for themselves. I'm not the kind of person that says anything mean about people, and they've kind of set this set this bar up and. Um, um, And maybe they do a pretty good job of sticking to it, but uh, if you are the kind of person who never uh, uh, says anything mean about someone, what happens when you do say something mean about someone? Uh, How devastating can that be? Uh, If you're the kind of person who never says, who has a rule in your life that you're not going to say anything mean about people, uh, you are, in effect, kind of limiting your life to following this little rule and not really experiencing, uh, you're kind of hiding from yourself the fact that you probably are naturally a person who wouldn't say anything mean about people. It's just that um, you, you don't ever see that part of yourself. You've limited yourself to a rule follower and um, you've never really gotten to experience the feeling of not saying something Mean about someone and feeling how good that is, or, uh, or, or perhaps saying something mean about something and learning a whole lot about about yourself from through doing that. So you're you're limiting yourself. We all define ourselves in certain ways. You know, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm i adventurer. I'm, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Buddhist, I'm an anarchist, I'm, I'm a smart person, I'm a photographer. Uh, and of course, you know, we can't really get through life without defining ourselves. We have job interviews, we have to talk about what we're good at, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we hold too tightly to uh, what we say about ourselves, when it becomes uh, our identity, you know, when it becomes our whole... Uh, a good one is I'm a mother. You know, Have you ever known anybody who has devoted their life to being a mother, and they can't stop talking about their kids and their kids' accomplishments? I sat next to a person like that yesterday, and she was really a lovely, lovely person, and she had a really fine family, but she talked uh, the whole meal about her kids and what they've done. So it was a really one-sided conversation. and. Um, um, So, defining yourself that way uh, sort of limits yourself from experiencing a whole lot of other things in life. And it's also, especially that one, is kind of uh, destined for uh, suffering because kids, you can only really be a mother for about 18 or 20 years. And after that, you know, then what do you do? You know, your kid grows up and sometimes you try to hold on too tightly. Anyway, we. I think that everyone knows that, gets that point, that we, we, define, we, try, we define ourselves, but, but if we stick too hard to it, if we become too attached to it, if we actually really make it our life, uh, it can cause a lot of suffering, and it can really limit us. I know back in the 90s, I fancied myself a photographer. I called myself a photographer. I had a dark room. I, I took pictures, and I... Um, always felt like I had to take pictures It was expected of me because I'm a photographer. Mm. Even if other people didn't know that, that was still <laughs> my little bar that I had to, to match. And they better be good, too, which they usually weren't. So, uh, And, and no, now I no longer think of myself a, as a photographer, and it's wonderful. It's so, <laughs> it's so nice not to have to take pictures and, and not to care if they come out good or not. You know, It's just so nice. I use my iPhone just like everybody else. <laughs> um, um. So, um, uh, yeah, limiting limiting ourselves by de- defining who we are is a big limitation because uh, we we have now by limiting ourselves we are uh, uh, negating a whole lot of other things that we possibly uh, could find out more about. Um, One of of the things about uh, stopping uh, defining yourself so much is um, that you can get quieter because you're not so busy telling everybody what you are and what you aren't and who you are, and you get quieter, which is hard. I mean, for some people, that's really scary to get quiet. You feel like we have to have something to be telling everyone. We have to have uh, a conversation. Uh, going and so it's hard sometimes to just drop some of our uh, or, or, or not drop necessarily but step back a little bit from our self definitions but, um, but if we can take, if we can let this uh, let some, some quiet uh, evolve then, and this quiet is kind of the absence of me declaring myself, if we can let go of some of that, it opens up a world of spaciousness so instead of declaring to the world who you are, you can um, listen and sit in silence and perhaps uh, learn who you really are who you really are um, I thought of a, of a, a metaphor uh, that I thought kind of kind of worked well uh, uh, It has to do with plastic flowers. Um, Comparing our our, our uh, definition of ourself or our our uh, our, our um, what did I word that let me see uh, our you know the, the determining or, or comparing our fixed view of ourselves or to our real self is 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 as plastic flowers are to real flowers when you think about a real flower a flower grows slowly and then it gets ready and there's a bud and then very slowly but constantly the bud is opening and uh, and then there's this breathtakingly beautiful flower there it it reaches its apex maybe only for a a brief moment and then it starts to die and so it's going through this constant change and it's uh, amazingly, indescribably beautiful, a flower. Partly because it's going to die, and it dies, and it falls into the earth, and becomes compost, and the cycle goes on and on. Plastic flowers, however, is something that we can make, and control, and color the way we want it to be, and it's not going to die, and uh, it's, but it's fixed, it's very fixed. And then think about what happens at the end of the life of these I already Describe the end of the life of a flower. What happens at the end of the life of a of a plastic flower? It goes to a uh, a uh, landfill and becomes toxic, or maybe it ends up in that gyre out in the Pacific Ocean. You know, so uh, you know. Or a park bench. Mm-hmm. Or a park bench. Well, if you recycle plastic? Oh well, that's true. Yes, 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 yes. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't. There really, is hope. You didn't really. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness we do have. <laughs> Thanks for reminding us to recycle. Yeah. Uh, anyway, fixed ideas—they're—they're they're just so artificial. They're—they're they're so limiting. They're so tiny. They're so. Uh, and in some ways they're toxic they're toxic to our boundless life Uh, expectations expectations are another fixed idea and uh, we all have expectations right we wouldn't want to live without them to some extent but if you become way too uh, attached to your expectations uh, again a big big limitation uh, in a way, uh, if you live a life tightly, tightly uh, attached to expectations, and I have to say, I see a lot of that in my own life, that, uh, you know, I kind of plan out what's going to happen during my day, and I'm you know, i very much a planner. I lay it all out. I, I want it to happen this way. I anticipate that so-and-so is going to react this way. And um, um, so... Uh, Living a life full of expectations uh, is a, a life that is pretty limited and uh, can be pretty dull. Because when you think about it, what's, if you've got tight expectations, what's the best thing that can happen? What's the very best thing that can happen? Well, your expectation, well, uh, things will happen just as you expected, right? <laughs> but isn't it a fact that most people... Are happiest when the unexpected happens. So for two, what? Well, sometimes. Or they have a rich experience if the unexpected happens, and it's not so great. (laughs) Whatever. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So um, um, being tightly attached to expectation can really, um, you know, make make for a small life. Or something better happens than you wanted, but you can't you can't respond to it because you it's not what you expected, and you're not ready. You know, you're, you're not ready for it. Uh, so uh, expectations for people's one's children. I'm not, I don't have children, but I think that is frequently a, a big problem. Maybe more in the past than it is now. I don't know. Maybe people are more enlightened now, but it seems like back in Eric's not so sure. Again, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I went to a uh, a book signing the other night uh, about a book uh, written by uh, Leonard Bernstein's um, father. I mean, a daughter. Uh, He was her father, and she wrote a memoir. And she said that... uh, um, uh, She said that... um, When he was uh, her her grandfather, Leonard Bernstein's father was a Ukrainian immigrant, and he came over to this country and he brought his family and he established a really successful hair care business in Boston. In fact, she said he even kind of she thinks he may have actually invented the permanent wave, you know, because he came up with this kind of thing that you put over your head and you wrapped your hair up in these things and. Uh, it would last for several months, and anyway, he, he, he was very successful, and he expected his son Lenny, to take over the hair care business. It's kind of weird to think of Leonard Bernstein being in charge of the, <laughs> the hair care business, but uh, anyway, uh, when Lenny was 10 years old, he met a piano for the first time, and it was immediately overcome with incredible passion for music, and from then on decided that was what he was going to do. And for 15 years, there was lots and lots of strife in their family, because his father had just really counted on him le- taking over this business, and bringing their family lineage into a big successful place in this country. And um, so 15 years of strife, although he, he did pay for uh, Leonard's ed- a musical education, so it couldn't have been too, too bad, but, um, but, but a lot of unhappiness, I think. And it wasn't until when Leonard uh, was 25, and almost overnight became uh, a national figure when he took over uh, then became the first American conductor of a symphony when he took the place of someone else who was sick and conducted the New York Philharmonic and from then on he was very famous and um, so she told this funny story that somebody asked his father uh, after that happened, asked him well you know what, what did he think of this son and he said well I always wanted him to be uh, to run my hair care business but that was before he was Leonard Bernstein <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, at least great success like that uh, solved their problem. On the other hand, there are people that go the other way, and uh, 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 I want to mention, has anybody, Sherry told me about this, and I watched it, and I was so blown away by it. It was a video made by Shuhaka Okamura's daughter. Anybody see it? Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, so some of you have seen it. Uh, an amazing story because uh, a very intimate look at Okamura. Does everybody know who I'm talking about when I say Sholak Okamura, the Dogen scholar? He was he visited here. He's uh, you know uh, very very well known, probably the best <coughs> Dogen scholar, and he he was here recently. He's Japanese. He's from he leads a center in uh, Indiana. Bloomington. Bloomington, Bloomington, yeah. Uh, Anyway, this this film was a a really intimate look at his family life. And what blew me away about it was how he walks the talk. How he raised two children, and he had apparently no expectations for them. He did not imbue them with any uh, idea of what they should be. And, uh, his daughter apparently was a self-starter, and she was interested in film, and I think got a degree in film, and she made this film about the family, this very beautiful, intimate look at his family. However, his son didn't really know what he wanted to be, and he, um, I, I guess he graduated from high school, but he didn't go to college, and he just stayed around the house, and he played a lot of video games, and just kind of was aimless, didn't know what to do, and, uh, Uh, Of course, Okamura's wife got a little bit worried about this because she could see this guy still at 40 or 45, still living at home, you know, like like many parents have have to worry about. And, uh, you know, wasn't so happy about it. Anyway, the family uh, dived in, I think mostly his sister maybe, uh, the filmmaker, and helped the boy and kind of, I don't know how they did it, but somehow they helped him discover his passion, which happened to be food. He'd always been a really, really good cook, and so he ended up going to um, Paris and becoming a, um, uh, or, you know, studying food and becoming a chef. Is that right? Was he? Did he become a chef? Anyway, anyway, he found the path. He found the way out, and with the help of his family. But, but what was just? It was just so striking to me. That, that Okamura never, never uh, um, pushed his uh, agenda on, on his children. Now there was a beautiful little scene where the two kids talked about how they wished, they wished that there had been a little bit more direction uh, <laughs> given to them. And I apologize for sort of spoiling. The, I didn't spoil it. It's really, it's really much more than the way I'm describing it. So, so do go watch it if you. I think you can Google Okamura and you'll find it because his daughter's name is Okamura. Um, anyway, so, uh, and and it worked and it worked out fine. It was it was kind of a, a perfect example of um, you know what Dogen says about it, that you can carry yourself forward and experience the myriad thing. That you can carry yourself forward and experience the myriad things is delusion that the myriad things come forward and experience themselves is, is awakening. In other words, pushing our agenda is delusion. Pushing our fixed ideas about how things should be, trying to make ourselves conform, I have these self-improvement projects where we conform to what our, our ideas are about, uh, about things is delusion. But if we just sit back and let them come, Um, you know, then we will have a very, very rich, a rich experience and um, perhaps be awakened. I, I'll talk a little bit about a fixed idea that I had. and probably not un- dissimilar to fixed ideas that you had. Fixed ideas about food. How many people say, I just can't eat those? I grew up saying, I can't eat raw tomatoes. I simply can't. I tried it once. They were real acidy, and they had this green gooey stuff in them. I cannot eat raw tomatoes. And I went through my life saying that and until I met... Uh, Zen, and I went to Sishin. And those of you who have been to Sishin and eaten out uh, of three bowls, eaten more you know that you have to eat what's in the bowl. You don't really have any way to not eat it. Well, people do things. They stick things in their seed. <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen people put that amount of food in there. Or... Sometimes they leave it in the wash water. The, What's that?
1: Make a big flop into the
0: kitchen. Right. So it's very inconvenient to not eat everything that you are served. And of course, I don't think the decision goes by that there's not a couple meals with raw tomatoes without raw tomatoes in them. So I uh, had to eat raw tomatoes. And um, you know what I found out? When I was at Sichuan, and my mind was pretty clear, I'd been sitting in silence for a long time, and I ate the raw tomato, I didn't taste anything bad. It was kind of neutral. I mean, it was okay. There wasn't anything wrong with it. And uh, so that was kind of interesting that that, uh, here I couldn't eat these, but really they were okay. They were all right. They were neutral. There, There wasn't, you know. And the interesting thing, though, is after the session was over, I couldn't eat him again. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? You know? Uh, and it took years, years of going to many sessions and, 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 and working with raw tomatoes to, that now I actually can voluntarily eat them. But it took years for such a little thing, and it was so obvious that it was a delusion. It was just so obvious. And yet habits, our habits are so limiting. It's so hard to to get those habits of mind um, out of your uh, out of your head. It's uh, really, really interesting. Um, but speaking of sessions, I'm I'm a big believer in sessions. I've learned so much from them. And um, one thing to learn at a session is how false your limits are. Um, uh, I do go to Rinzai session sometimes, and where we do a lot of chanting, and we shout Mu a lot, and I was working on the Mu Koan, and uh, so I had to shout Mu with my teacher, and this one time, I spent about the third day of session, I started to notice my voice was getting really raspy, and I was, I got scared. I, I'm not going to be able to chant anymore, maybe I won't even be able to talk by the end of the week, so I better hold back." And I told my teacher, I was kind of holding back, I wasn't going to uh, chant and say moved so much. Cause... And he just kind of like was not too approving of that. He said, no, give it all you got, just give it all you got and um, so I did because I'm good and I follow, I do what I'm told and, uh, <laughs> so I gave it well on oh my God, and I continued to chant and I ch- chanted as, as strongly as, and I chanted strongly and let it go and by the end of the week my teacher said see, not only have our, is your voice stronger now but your voice is prettier which I thought was rather sweet of him I really having a pretty voice but uh, anyway uh, so you know uh, we think that we can't do anymore, but we always can. And um, other things from Sushin to learn that I've learned is, um, you know, I think that I have to have so much sleep. I got to have seven hours of sleep, or I, I won't be able to do anything. Sushin, it's never true. You get six hours of sleep at best, and I've uh, never had a problem with lack of sleep. Uh, I used to go to Mount Baldy where it was very cold in the winter, unless you sat by the fireplace and that was very hot. And uh, I would always think, oh, I'm gonna get sick. I'm gonna get sick, it's cold and snow. We're outside walking around in the snow and I'm gonna get sick. I never got sick, never. I don't know that I'd do that now. I'm 71 years old. I don't think that I would take that kind of a chance, but but then maybe again, maybe I'm just uh, holding on to a, a fear. Or maybe I'm being reasonable. I don't know. But it always it always amazed me that that how much you can do that you think you can't do, and that's what sessions do. They really really push you because they're hard. And and uh, you know of course you're, you're you're sitting, your posture, your knees, your you know your back. All, all this stuff hurts, and you think I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. And then you get up and you walk around for a little while, and then you come back to sit down and. Somehow, magically, that stuff's not feeling so bad anymore. And, and you just realize that you can go on. You don't need to be limited by your fears about what's going to happen to you. Your feet go to sleep or your legs go to sleep and you think, oh, no, uh, I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. And then you stand up and, you know, all of a sudden it's all gone and everything's fine, you know. So you uh, you... Helps you get past some of the limits that you set for yourself. Um, uh, fixed ideas about other people. Fixed ideas about other people. This has always been a big one for me. Uh, you make up stuff about what other people think and what they, who they are, we put labels on them, and um, make them very small, turn them into pieces of cardboard, cardboard cutouts. I am all this is, I think this is my biggest challenge, is to work with my fixed ideas about other people, or at least right now it seems like my biggest challenge. It seems as soon as I I, uh, get, I let go of of one person, or do something that kind of helps connect me with them again, then there's someone else that I'm thinking uh, uh, putting <clears throat> labels on and distancing from myself. Um, I think that I do this again as one of those habits because uh, I've never really been a people person. I've never, growing up, I never felt like I needed people too much, like Barbara Streisand says. I always felt like I was the luckiest person that I didn't need people. Um and I was always busy. I always kept myself really busy. I had a good job, and i you know I worked hard and i when I wasn't working, I was doing other stuff and hobbies and photography and stuff like that, so I kept myself nice and busy so uh if I had uh, uh negative thoughts about other people, I could just cross them off my list right don't need them don't need them anymore it 's too much trouble too much trouble to deal with their particular brand of humanness. and I got <laughs> in the habit of, I got in the habit of doing that and um, uh, I actually did it really bad before I came to practice I got really really lonely I think that's one of the big things that brought me into practice was how lonely I was and how um, because I crossed just about everybody off my list you know so that's a habit that I still have and I still but I see myself doing it and it makes me sad now when I start to cross somebody off the list, so I try really hard not to do that, and, but but it's hard, and like I said, they keep popping up, more people that I've crossed, or that I've had bad thoughts about, um, I, ha- I have to keep, keep working with that, and if I've sort of disconnected from them in my mind, I go out of my way to try to connect with them again, um, um, either actually connect with them by seeing them or calling them up and let's do lunch and, and doing things like that um um or at least letting go of and watching the thoughts i'm having and let go of them and uh because the disconnection i mean these the people that i have maybe estranged don't know it i mean they don't know what i'm going through or they don't know what i'm thinking about them uh that's not the issue. The issue is that in my own mind, I have disconnected from them, and so left myself, you know, alone in my own mind. And that's where I have to fix the problem. Um, so that's my uh, that's my challenge right now, uh, an ongoing challenge. Um, and. So I've come to uh, a point in my talk where I wanted to try something. I've never, never done this before. Uh, I always feel like these talks, you say these things, and but maybe it's not really all that helpful what you're saying. Uh, and so I came up with, uh, uh, I came up with a guided meditation that I thought maybe, maybe might help people who, who have. Uh, I don't know how many of you actually. Uh, is this something that you? think about a lot that you feel these limits, that you feel these fixed ideas, and you're aware that you're doing them, or you have a lot of, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. Is that is that an issue that that you struggle with? If you do, it's good. It's good to struggle with that. <laughs> so that's what my guided meditation is about, is about working with, working with fixed ideas. So, I'd like everybody to Assume the position or whatever position you want, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, so let's just uh, uh, sit with our uh, uh, sit with a good posture, lifting lifting up the ribs, letting the eyes drop. So light is coming in. You're not really looking at anything. Start to notice your breathing, breathing in, breathing out. Just let the breath come and go like a swinging door. And now think a little bit about maybe what your current most beloved fixed idea is. Maybe a person that you're having problems with. Maybe something you feel you can't do but that you kind of somehow know you really could do. Maybe a, a something about yourself that you're holding on to too tightly. Just think of something maybe not real important or important. And imagine this beloved fixed idea as a wall. You're sitting next to this wall. It may be a a big high, 20 foot high cement wall. Maybe it's just a, a pile of rocks. Maybe it's a rickety fence. Maybe it's just some mosquito netting. Picture this wall. You're sitting next to it and you're breathing. No hurry. If this is a strong, fixed idea, this wall may seem impenetrable. And now realize that this wall was built by you. This wall is your creation. You are bigger than this wall. And also remember that you built this wall for some reason, probably a good reason. Maybe you needed to protect yourself. Maybe it made your life bearable at a time when it didn't seem to be bearable. So in a way, this wall is kind of your friend too. Or it was your friend. You needed it. You don't hate it. But just breathe, maybe breathe with the wall. Maybe you can think of breathing through the wall and just invite the wall or allow the wall to fade away. Disintegrate, tumble down. It may take a long time. It may take the rest of your life if this is a wall that you've been building for a long, long time. But don't give up. Just keep sitting with that wall. breathing through it. Maybe visualizing a door opening in the wall. Maybe visualizing a little chink that you can make with a little hammer. And always be aware of what this wall is separating you from. Dogen. Life and death are nothing but the mind. Years, months, days, and hours are nothing but the mind. Dreams, illusions, and mirages are nothing but the mind. The bubbles of water and the flames of fire are nothing but the mind. The flowers of the spring and the moon of the autumn are nothing but the mind. Confusions and dangers are nothing but the mind. So Mark, could you ring the bell? Involving me in my pre-written guided meditation so we have just a little bit of time. does anybody have any thing they'd like to share or
1: I want to go back to when you were talking about can't about what you can't you can't oh, can't you can't, yeah, sit. Yeah. you can't whatever yeah. Uh, ben Connolly, who is a uh, Zen teacher and an author from the East Coast, came through our Sangha recently and gave a talk, and he was talking about the importance of the words that you choose. And he said something that has just stuck in my mind ever since. He said, every word you speak or thought plants a seed, and those seeds are going to blossom sooner or later. What they blossom into, whether it's a restricting hedge or a liberating gardens." said be very careful of the words that you choose and that you use
0: yeah thank you yeah that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing to yes Cody.
2: when you started mentioning fixed views i realized something that when i that i feel when i hear that word fixed views and it's i find that i usually give myself an out because i don't view myself as terribly rigid right so i think Oh, fixed views—that's for like stubborn people or like uptight people, or, like, rigid. People. You're
0: not the kind of person that has. Fixed so I don't you know. have a fixed view. And then I thought,
2: are there views that aren't fixed?
0: Oh, my
2: view is by nature fixed. Well, I'm no—I'm not saying any. I'm asking: Are there views that aren't fixed?
0: Sure. I don't know. I... Because when we see your views, I feel like it gives us this
2: kind of opt out. As long as we don't view of, because we don't think we're uptight, you know, or like we don't. I don't know. Maybe we do think we're uptight, but like I think we might think that we're more. I don't think we realize how fixed our views are. Uh-huh. Is what I mean, I guess. Uh-huh. You know.
0: Well, a view is a concept, right? Mm-hmm. And such concepts are by their nature kind of fixed, but there's all different degrees, right? I mean, like, you know, like, you can have views, but if you don't get real attached to them, you know, well, like- is what, there, what kind of view would you advocate for? Well, any any view, like, I, I could, uh, I could view you as a uh, badly dressed Zen priest. Uh, <laughs> that would be incorrect. Uh, and, <laughs> but that might be my view of you. Right <laughs> I actually I didn't hear what you just said. I bet it was. No, I said that would be
2: incorrect.
0: <laughs> in your view, in your view. <laughs> But but if I don't really make like a big deal about that, if it's just a you know something I notice, it's not going to be a problem. Okay, There's
1: a difference between a fixed view and an observation. Is there a difference between a fixed view and observation? Yes, there that's is, and that's uh, my determinant. There's your fixed view. Perhaps
0: there's some kind of continuum. Yeah, a yeah. continuum of, of, of fixedness. Use, of some views are more fixed than others, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you just hold them more tightly, and like the mother. I mean, you know, uh, the, the mother can get a little bit out of hand, being a mother too much, you know.
1: I think you said in your talk, it's, it's to a certain extent a matter of attachment. If you're so attached to a view, you, uh, then you're stuck. You're blind, But if yeah. you can kind of relax into it and say, yeah. and just notice that, uh, gee, I do cross these people off, let's say, I wonder why I do that. Is that really, maybe they deserve to be crossed <laughs> off. No, that's quite possible. I've <laughs> tried to cross him off for you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Turn this into a business, okay. Are you two from the same place? Are, we, are you two from the same place? Oh, we we practice together in Tucson.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. but anyway, you know, the the notion of how attached you are to something, I think, and then you feel that, right, and, yeah. and then you at least can notice it, and then you have a chance to work with it. Uh, I took that from your talk. Yeah.
0: I'm very attached to wanting to say this. What's that? Point. I'm very attached to wanting to say this next point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I but, but you know, who's that? Uh, is it Surat? Is that how you say his name? In Pointism. Okay. how do you say yeah. that word? Somebody who oh, knows that word. Thank you. You know how uh, it's really a, a bunch of dots, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, my view is just my view coming from this crazy, you know, ancient twisted karma, right? But but if I if I can realize, you know, everybody's got a view coming from there. Perspective, And so that, to me that's helpful when I think, oh, there's another view. You know, that's mm-hmm. always very helpful mm-hmm. to me to get. It's just one among many. Yeah. Uh-huh, the points, all the yeah. points. Yeah. In it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice image. Yes. Yeah, remember, what's the uh, trust in mind says the, the way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. Mm-hmm. So you know, attachment seems to be the... How, how do you get over fixed view that you have fixed views? well you're probably correct if you think you have fixed views if you have like Koji think you don't have fixed views that might be no I know you don't know that I know I have views
2: I just think that they're fixed but I don't think that they're fixed views
0: Realizing is in any, any definition has built into it a certain danger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yes, yes, when, that's when what we define ourselves in any way, even if it's a liberating way. The attachment, the, the um, assumptions that might go with that is know, it's it's possible a limitation, yeah. Yeah. yeah, depending on how much you stick to it. Yeah.
2: Yes. Sorry, I'm so I'm so, uh, hung up on this. <laughs> I think the concern that I have is that I think um, a lot of the times we can talk ourselves back from having a tight grasp on on reality, like 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 really uh, like expectations and fixed views. Like we can talk we can talk ourselves back from that, but we get to the point where we. Relax around that a little bit and then just take that as kind of like, okay, now I'm done with that. And there's still, I feel like that's not what the proposition of practice is to like loosen up around fixed views. I feel like the proposition of practice is something much more dramatic than that, you know? Um, Like, so not only letting go of fixed views and expectations, but like actually letting go of identifying myself as an entity that's you know? really
0: true that's our that's our uh, final goal right but yeah but <laughs> so and i think so. we apply that i can't
2: i think we it like i think we apply that like i can't thing to to the um when we 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 kind of stop short because we're like and we and we're almost kind of jokingly like kind of like yeah, and then there's this whole thing called enlightenment. Who could be bothered with that? I'm just going to let go of my fixed views, you know. I mean, this isn't, this is... This is um,
0: idealistic. You know?
2: What's that? Idealistic. Idealistic to be to be interested in enlightenment? In, Which is idealistic?
0: Well, to, uh, to just get there. Get there to the place where we can totally let go of our whole, you know, that we're even a separate self yeah, yeah. Uh, I
2: but it's also how things are yeah,
0: yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean so like yeah. is it
2: getting there or is it like arriving here
0: We're realizing yeah. what we really are yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yes I like what you're saying you're right
2: I like that um, you said it's how things are
0: and you're so sure of it <laughs> well,
1: that notion about words planting seeds and the seeds taking life uh, in the dpokashi, there's that line I can't quote it exactly where it says something to the effect of the Buddha let words escape his golden mouth, and the world ever since has been in, entangled in briars so I think <laughs> I, I think the, the issue here is not so much. I think when we talk about it and think about it rather than just getting past the verbiage and just letting it be, that somehow the barrier here is not the fixed or unfixed nature of the views, it's in trying to codify or define or, you know, so somehow on some level here the wording, the the very discussion itself is the speed bump that's knocking us a little a kilter.
0: This is kind of mm-hmm. like
2: just surrendering to curiosity instead of
0: being fixed. Everything is curious. Say that again. Just it's like, instead of having a preset idea of the way things are, let curiosity. that go, and just question. Just ask a question. Just ask the question, Open what up. is this? Who am I? Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a very, very interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. Thank you everybody for your profound insights. um, So I guess we should go have tea. Mm